0: Stop loving the world. That was a sermon preached by William Greenhill in London in 1670... ...as he was urging his congregation to not love the things that this world offers... ...but instead, turn your eyes to Christ... ...and to consider who Christ is as they lived in this world. Bottom line, that phrase comes directly from the scriptures, from the mouth of God... Itself, 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, the love of the Father is not in him. To love the world is to hold the world in high esteem. To want what it offers. All the pleasures that it promises. All the profits that we seek. Yes, all the honors that it shows before us. Beloved, we are prone to love the world. We need to recognize that we do hold the world in high esteem, even when we're warned not to. Psalm 49 says, It's the love of the world that man wants his family to dwell here forever. It's the love of the world that made inroads in Demas' heart in 2 Timothy chapter 4, forsaking the gospel and preferring the things that are offered here. It's the love of the world that... Jesus himself warns us of in Luke chapter 14 as he warns those who were invited to the great feast but preferred cattle, farms, and family. They esteemed the world more than they esteemed the things of Christ. This is a real threat to us, beloved. Is it possible that we don't look for the day of Christ because we love the world? It's a question I want us to consider. There is a real battle in our waiting. A real war that's taking place before the day of the Lord. And we want to be faithful stewards while we wait. Waiting is a part of the Christian life. That's why you were saved and not immediately killed. The Lord is doing something with you as you have breath in your lungs. Waiting is a part of this very passage, as we'll see in verses 12, 13, and 14. So the question is, how do we wait? And that's the final appeal that Peter gives to us in this letter. And I want us to consider it. The the knowledge of the day of the Lord really is a beautiful gift that has been given to us to create perspective as we live and as we wait for the day of Christ. The main idea of this passage, simply put, waiting for Christ to return as promised enables us to live godly lives in the present. Waiting for Christ to return as promised enables us to live godly lives in the present. And we're going to be driven by two questions today that I think are implied in the text that will help guide our time. The first question, we found in verse 11, and we'll cover verses through 13... What sort of people ought we to be while we wait? What sort of people ought we to be while we wait? And I'm generally speaking, as I think Peter is in this little portion of Scripture. This is really a link, verses 11 through 13, between last week's text and the bulk of this week's text. Look with me in verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, if you remember last week in verse 10, he's talking about the judgment of God that's coming at Christ. He's going to burn up the heavens and the earth. And that's what Peter's referring to, again, in verse 11. See all these things, earth and heavens, are thus to be dissolved. And he says in the second part of verse 12, the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will be burned. When Christ comes, there is going to be a massive judgment. Everything in the heavens and the earth will die. And what Peter is implying is then these things are not worth living for. These things are, are temporary things, so don't, don't latch on to them with veracity. And, and, and that's really kind of the, the warning as to what Peter is giving to us. It's not worth living for. And we see this temporarily, right? Your favorite jeans ultimately get a hole in them. The car that you work so hard uh, for ultimately dies, that perfect lot where you build a house, house ultimately floods. These things are not worth living for, and so we are not called to live for these things. So, what sort of people ought we to be? I rise the question again, and that's found there in verse eleven. The first way we ought to live is we are called to live holy. And godly lives. That is implied by Peter. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Peter expects the church to live godly and holy lives. Now, we're gonna get to how we do this for the second question, but that is the expectation for the people of God. Now, I want us to see what kind of waiting. Uh, we are to do, look with me in verse 12, waiting for, as we're living these godly lives, and it says, and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. What does it mean for us to hasten the day of the Lord? How does our godly living speed up the coming of Christ? Isn't isn't, uh, the father the only one aware of when the time will come? We talked about that last week. But Peter is implying that our godly living is setting forth the return of Christ, which means simply this, how we live matters in the eyes of God. It matters right now what we're doing for his glory because it's setting into motion the return of the king. It's not just a normal day that we live in. This is a day in which we live to hasten the return of Christ. Uh, An example of this is found in Matthew 24, where it says the glorious gospel is to be preached to all the nations, and then the end will come. So we're given responsibility while we wait, and we're to do it faithfully so as to hasten the coming of Christ. Now certainly this is a mystery of the sovereignty of God and human responsibility yet again but we live with the end in mind. The second one I want us to see is in verse 13. While we wait, we hold to his promises. Peter provides really a solid eschatological imperative for our waiting as we're living these godly lives. Waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, verse 13. He promised a new heavens and a new earth. It's probably here pulling from Isaiah 65. I will create a new heavens and a new earth, God says. And the former things will not even come to mind. We won't even think about these things. God is going to do something new. He is going to intervene in creation yet again. And so he's pushing us to see this. Love for the world, accepting false doctrines ultimately are foolish because it has sights set on a lesser world. But the Christian is thinking about the next world, the world that is to come. It's a better world that's not marred by sin and shame, where demons do not graze and lions do not devour. Uh, Think back, just reflect for a moment on the serenity of the Garden of Eden. Before the fall, there's perfect peace and fellowship with the living God. There's lush vegetation with no West Texas thistles to be found. Yeah, I heard an amen. There's no conflict. There's no sin. There's no shame. I want you to go read with your households today or by yourself Revelation 21 as just a little application to the sermon and see the details of that wonderful heaven and earth that is coming. It is glorious. No eye has seen and no ear has heard of the glorious things that God is going to do. Go store those things up in your heart. This new heaven and the new earth, it only has one tree. There's no tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's just the tree of life there. In that heavens and new earth, there's no sun uh, orbiting. The sun is providing all the light. So we have such hope to look forward to. And he's pointing us to this coming. And as Paul says, we're citizens of that kingdom. Philippians 3, he says, citizens of a kingdom where we await a savior. So as we wait, we are already citizens of that kingdom. As we await our savior to return. As good as news for us these are the type of citizens this is how we ought to be we ought to be godly people living holy lives godly meaning displaying the character of god holy meaning we are set apart almost strange to the world but because we're holding to a world that is still to come but how do we do this that's really what peter gets at it's the second question how are we to wait for the coming of christ look with me in verses 14 through 18 the apostle provides four exhortations for a heavenly mindset. And remember, this is the final appeal of the, of the apostle for this letter. He's already spoken of these things and he's, he's like driving it home for the church to hold onto. His, his last letter, this is what he wants them to know. The first of those exhortations is found in verse 14. Be diligent to be found by Christ without spot or blemish. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you are now waiting for these, these things that he's talking about. It's new heaven and the new earth. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Peter says that while we are waiting, we are to be diligent. Diligent, eager, zealous. It's the same word he used all the way back in chapter 1. Make every effort. Be diligent to ensure your calling and election. We have something to do while we're here. We are to be active. And if you remember, chapter 1 reminds us that we have actually been provided the power of God that has given everything to us for life and godliness. We are not left to ourselves in this. We don't have the strength and the power in our flesh to do a single thing. But God has given us everything in Christ through his blood. He has given us everything in his spirit that allows us to pursue these things and to live godly lives while we wait. If you remember Philippians chapter 2, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, the apostle writes. But then he says, for it is God who is at work in you, both to work and to will for his good pleasure. So even though we are working out our salvation, it is God who is doing this within us and we are to be diligent while we wait. Make your life meaningful, beloved, knowing that God supplies power, his spirit, the blood of his son, his word for you to be tethered to, tied to, covered by while you wait. And look what he Says God supplies His power to help this. He's commanded it, and then He's the one who provides the power—the uh, power for you to do it. So, consider that today. How can we be distracted when we know that He is coming for us? We should not be distracted. We should not love the world. We should be driven by the fact that He is coming. For us, and look what it says to be found by Him, to be found by Christ that is our hope. How are you going to be found by Him when He comes? Is your hand going to be to the plow, trusting in Him, enjoying His gospel, ministering and serving, being about His glory? Our works really do matter, they matter. Oftentimes we throw works away like they don't matter. They they do matter. If you remember back in Revelation chapter two and chapter three, Jesus writes to the seven churches and he tells each of the churches, I know your works. I know your works. I know what you do. I know the level of your diligence. Some good, some admonishment, but he knows, he sees everything that we do in this life. Now our works... Cannot justify us. Our works cannot spare us from the wrath of God. Our works do not save us. They can. Paul calls them filthy rags. But when God gives new life to his people, he he makes us a new creation. And then he enables us through his power to to be morphed into the image of his son. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And so we are to be diligent, to put these things in to practice, to, to be diligent, to be conformed to the spotless one himself. You and I are not spotless ones, am I right? But Christ is spotless, and that's what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, all the way back in 1 Peter, if you remember months ago, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who is spotless and without blemish. And we are pure in the Father's eyes because of the perfect and pure blood of Jesus. So, so when the Father looks upon us, he sees us covered in the pure, spotless, beautiful blood of Christ. And this is very different than how the false teachers are, are found. If you remember, back in chapter 2 of this letter, verse 13, the false teachers are full of blots and blemishes... In fact, they're reveling in their deceptions. But here we are to be diligent, to be without spot and blemish. It does not mean we can achieve that. We have to rely upon Christ. But in the same reliance upon Christ for justification, we rely upon Him in sanctification, as we are growing in His likeness. So, so what do you do while you wait? What do you think is really important today? What are you diligent in? Are you diligent in your career? Are you diligent in making sure that you, you buy a house or start a family? Are, are you diligent to make sure that you have a lot of friends and you're, you're thought well of? What are you diligent in while you wait? Those are important things, but those are not the most important things. We are to be found, to be diligent in this work. I love what George Swinnick, the great Puritan says, godliness is not a side business. It is your main business. Is godliness your main business in your life? The business that you wake up for every single day and say, this is what I'm going to be about, diligent in, so that when Christ finds me, he can find me with my hand on the plow we're called beloved to be partakers of the divine nature that's what peter says back in chapter 1 so so does godliness being diligent does this drive your discipleship with one another are you pushing your discipleship partner or your small group friend or your wife or your husband or or whatever situation you find yourself in a discipleship relation in are you pushing them towards godliness or is it casual Sort of important. Beloved, be diligent. Paul writes in First Thessalonians chapter five, and the context here is the day of the Lord, the same context Peter is writing about. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, listen to this, whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the day of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to what it says in 24. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. So he's called us to this church to be diligent in this. And then it promised at the end of verse 24 is that God will help us do it, that he will do it for us. Beloved, be diligent. Hebrews 11. Strive for holiness without which no one will see God. Not that you can be holy. But that we strive to be what we actually are because of Christ. Are you diligent in these matters? He also says we're to be found at peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. If you remember back in our Colossians series last summer, we are to let the peace of Christ rule us. Is the peace of Christ ruling you? What Paul taught us back in Colossians chapter three, where the word of Christ is dwelling in you, the peace of Christ is is reigning and ruling over you. Those two, two things are in tandem together. Is this the case in your life? Are you at peace with him or at enmity? Are you at peace with one another because of the blood of, of the cross? We're called to consider and be patient and love and serve and push for this type of diligent work amongst the body of Christ. A second exhortation for a heavenly mind is found there in verse 17. Be careful not to lose your stability. Be careful not to lose your stability. Now, start with me in verse 15 and count the patience of of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother, Paul, also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So that exhortation comes from 17 because he's encouraging them not to be carried away by by godless people. And to be stable in the things that he is talking about. And this is so much of Peter's urgent appeal to the church in this letter. It's really the undertone of the entire letter. I'm not going to be here. I want you to call these things to mind. I want you to remember the gospel. Do not listen to the false teachers. Remember the day of the Lord. And allow him to find you without spot and blemish as you trust in Christ that is what he is doing but how are we to be stable we'll first look back in verse 15 at the Lord's salvation Peter again references the patience of the Lord and he's encouraging the church to count his delay as mercy if you remember back last week in verse 9 it's the patience of the Lord. That leads us to repentance. He's not writing this letter to a lost world. I'm going to say that again. He's not writing this to the unchurched. He's writing this to the church. And he's wanting the delay of Christ's return to be considered their salvation. As they're growing into maturity. Uh, He's wanting all the church, verse 9, to reach repentance. To, to, to be complete, that kind of goes against a lot of the doctrines that sometimes we don't like to talk about. We just like to go, man, I, I, I prayed a prayer and I, I'm good. It was a long time ago, but I'm good. It's like he's not saying anything close to that. Count the patience of the Lord as salvation. He is wanting to change you from something that you are not. From one degree of glory to another, he is wanting you to look more and more like Christ before the return of Christ. He's talking here about the whole Christ is responsible really for our whole salvation. If you remember in Hebrews chapter seven, Jesus is praying for us to be completely saved. All of us, every part of us, sanctified before he comes. That is not talking about a sinlessness. We will sin, and if we say we don't sin, we're a liar, like it says in 1 John. But this is what we're striving for. This is what we're called to in living these godly lives. Now, notice he really kind of doubles down on his point. He, He ropes in the apostle Paul, another apostle he references him, and he's basically saying, we're saying the same thing. The, the, the matters that I'm writing on are the matters that Paul has written on. The, the day of the Lord, false teachers, sanctification, trusting in God from one degree of glory to another. This kind of gives us encouragement that whatever conflict they had in Galatians chapter 2, because of Peter's fear of man, has now been reconciled. And they write very charitably to one another because the apostles' message is the very same. Now, now look what it says sort of at the end of verse 16. These guys are twisting uh, scriptures to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. Meaning, they're using Paul's words to twist any way they want to. Which means, as they do other scriptures, which means Paul's word has already been circulated. And it's already considered Scripture. If you remember back in chapter 1, the scriptures is written by men, but it's carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. And the message is the very same. Peter and Paul are preaching the gospel to the church. And they want the church to know the whole gospel, the whole expectation of God before the Lord Jesus comes back. Remember the old hymn? Keeps us really on the right path, the right footing. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Paul is, uh, Peter is 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 putting this before us. Trust the word of God. Lean on Christ. He's using Paul also, another apostle for the church to do the very same thing. Don't listen to the doctrines of this world. Listen to those who are full of the spirit and who have been entrusted with the glorious gospel. Are you wholly leaning on on Jesus' name today? Are you trusting? Are you trusting the message that was given to the apostles? Are are, Talking about our, our stability here, are your spiritual cleats dug in the ground? saying, this is where I'm standing. I'm standing on the word that has been given to the apostles. And I'm trusting in the glorious grace of Christ that they are beckoning me to believe in day in and day out. Are you stable, beloved? Peter is asking that question of his people. And notice the temptation. The temptation of the ignorant and the unstable is to twist the word of God to twist it, to suit their own pleasures. And this is exactly what Satan did. Uh, You see it in Genesis chapter three. Did God really say that? You you see it in Matthew four as he's tempting Christ. He's using scripture and he's twisting it, trying to get Jesus to stumble. But our Lord did not stumble. He lived on the word of God, not bread. What area of your life, I'm coming towards your toes, What area of your life do you twist the scriptures so that your desires are met? That you don't consider what Christ is actually saying, what God's word is actually saying. I want you to think about that. Be honest with with yourself. Where have you not given yourself to the deep and more proper studies of God's word over areas that you need to and you know you do? Hold to the word of God. Be stable. Count the patience of the Lord as your sanctification, as your salvation today. The third exhortation for our heavenly mind is to be growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If there is one exhortation that the apostle gives to the church... It's this for our living. It's the summary to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep growing and knowing Christ. That's what he's saying. Learn deeper his grace and love. Grow in your knowledge and your understanding about who he is. Who he is as the triune God. Who is God the Father, God the Son? And here, who is Christ by growing in his grace and his knowledge? Drink up the splendid things that are poured out in the scriptures. Remember, we're growing up into our salvation, First Peter, by drinking the pure spiritual milk. There is a fountain that's flowing of his graces and his mercy. And beloved, that fountain, that river has no shutoff. It doesn't matter if you've been walking with Christ for 80 years. We're encouraged by that. Please keep doing it faithfully. But you have not reached the foothills of that Everest. There is so much to learn of the glories of Christ that you have only played in the kiddie pool of that ocean. Study him. Love him, drink him in. There is so much that the living word has to expound about him. No theologian can get to the bottom of it. And here's the beautiful thing. The grace of Christ is also able not to drown a child. It is remarkable. I think a natural question for us to consider is how do we know if we're growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? How do you know? Am I? I think. I don't know. Well, J.C. Ryle, old English pastor, in his book, Holiness, actually gives great markers as for us to like, check to see if we're growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Are we growing in godliness and holiness before he returns? I've kind of uh, fitted them more to suit our language. But here, I'll, I'll spend uh, more time on the first three, but he, here, here they are. Are you growing in humility? Are you growing in humility? That's a marker as to whether or not you're growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Because the man who is growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ is ceasing to compare himself to other men and is starting to compare himself to Christ in all of his glory and he's recognizing very clearly all the things that he's not. He's, he's recognizing that he's sinful and unworthy. Year after year, we should be growing. I asked the question at the end of last year, I'm gonna do it again this year. Do you love Christ more this year than you did last year? And part of us growing in love for him is recognizing that we are sinful people. And when we recognize that, our humility begins to grow. Are you like David who says, I am a worm, or Isaiah, who says, I am a man of unclean lips? Are you like Peter, who says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man? Are you like Paul, who says, I am the chief of sinners? Those who understand the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ know exactly who they are when they're standing before a holy, righteous, and living God. Number two, are you growing in faith and love towards Christ himself? The man whose soul is growing year after year rejoices more in the Savior. He rejoices more in his grace. He saw him first when he came to faith, but he's learned him more. He, he first laid hold of his atonement in Christ but now he's seeing all the treasures of Christ, things he's never dreamed of. Just the depths of his love and power, the intentions of the heart of God, his offices, like he's our substitute, intercessor, our priest, our advocate, our physician, our shepherd, and our friend. Are you learning these things about Christ? Are you growing and trusting him and his complete work for you? And is it stirring this love in you that was not there even the day you were saved? Growing in this, it's discovering really the subtleness in Christ, the needs of the soul that we have every single day. Number three, are you growing in holiness of life and conduct? It's a great question to ask, your, ask yourself. Are you growing? Are you having greater dominion over sin? Are you running quicker to the gospel? Are you trusting the grace of God quicker? Are you being careful with your temper and your actions? Are you watching more closely your conduct in this life? That's really what holiness is. Are you striving more and more to be conformed to Christ through his example for you? Is this swelling and developing in your intentions? Are you able to identify it throughout the course of your day? It's a marker that we're growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And there's three others, I'll be quick, spiritual mindedness. Are you, are you starting to love spiritual things more than you love the world? Are the, are the things of the world growing strangely dim? Now, we're getting help as a Dallas sports fan uh, that they are. But in all seriousness, are the things that we are tethered to, do we love them less? Are we growing in our spiritual mindedness? Are you growing in your love for other people? People that you used to not like. People that used to frustrate you. Do you love them? Do you have a zeal? Number six, to do things for people you don't know, to to be about their spiritual goodness, to be about spiritual work on their behalf. These are great questions to ask ourselves because we have to remember back in chapter one, verse eight, if these things, these Graces of Christ, this knowledge of Christ, if these things are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. So we are called to grow in these things. And the final exhortation from Pastor Peter to close out this letter is, be living for the glory of God. Verse 18, to him be the glory both now and the day of eternity, amen. Amen. Glory belongs to Christ now and forevermore. And he ends this with this beautiful doxology, this beautiful praise. The letter begins with a a doxology boasting the glory of God, and it ends with a doxology. Don't you love how Peter, who denied Christ to a, a teenage girl, is now saying everything that you do both now and forevermore is for his glory. That man's heart is an example of one that has changed from one degree of glory to another as he awaits his death in prison. His example is now our life to do everything for his glory. I love what John Owen said, make up your mind that to behold the glory of God by beholding the glory of Christ is the greatest privilege which is given to believers in this life. It is the first taste of that heavenly glory which God has prepared us for. For this is eternal life, to know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. It's the glorious gospel. Do you know him? Do you know him today? If you do, if you know him, then you will want to live for his glory. You will want to to put on the mind of Christ to grow in his grace and knowledge. You are gonna want to be found diligent when he comes back. You are gonna wanna live a godly life. You're gonna be looking for the new heavens and the new earth. Not just looking at heaven where you're not doing anything here on this earth. You're going to be actively participating in the kingdom as a, as a citizen of it now. That is our call. That is what this letter is about. Peter's like, my dying words to the church are these, beloved. And so therefore they are intended to be received as a letter written by a dying man dying people that is the truth in our response today i'm actually going to give some warnings i know i'm hopefully generally considered a friendly person but these are warnings for your soul warnings for my soul that i've had to deal with for six days now you no know, warnings that I hope you deal with for the next six days and the next six years and the next 60 years before you see the face of Christ. Warning to the careless churchman or the casual churchman. Because we should see the patience of the Lord is our salvation. So as we wait, let me give these warnings. Let me warn you who are living for the world if you are living for the world and you don't know Christ, if you don't know his grace and his mercy, if you have never turned to him and you've never repented, I want you to know this, you are an enemy of God. You're an enemy across the table of God thinking that your way is better than his and that should have you tremble. He is great and excellent. He is going to intervene with creation again and I would encourage you today to tremble to repent and to trust the work of Christ and not your own. Let me warn those who are living self-righteous lives. Might be those who are a part of the church, Christians who've been members even here for a long time or a short time, it matters not. Self-righteousness sneaks up into all of us, but your attendance doesn't save you. Your service, though good, isn't the work that God counts as righteousness. Maybe you haven't missed the table in years that is so good, but do not lean upon your works. Peter starts this whole letter in the gospel, trust in the work of Christ. His blood is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. So tremble, ask yourself, am I relying upon my own works today or am I trusting in the work of Christ? Repent and return to Christ today. And I'm not saying that our work's not important. I already mentioned that earlier in the service. It's just not salvation. It's what we're called to do because we've been saved and given a new life, new heart. Let me warn you who are apathetic, let me warn you who are apathetic, don't live this life as if you're not called to battle your sin, that God has not saved you to wage war on the flesh so as to walk in the spirit. If you're apathetic, please don't live as if a devil is not prowling around seeking someone to devour. If you are living apathetically, please do not consider Christ to just be a, a part of this world. Consider him to be the lone provision for you on the day of the Lord. And there is an actual spiritual war that is taking place and you are in it. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean anything. So enlist or re-enlist as a soldier. Fight remember the gospel every single day walk as one who is not considering all the things of this world but everything that is to come because it is glory it is glorious that is that which is coming because not because i've seen it but because god's word says blair you can't imagine it so do not be apathetic fight tremble repent And trust in the work of Christ today. Lastly, let me warn all of us to think that the former days are the glorious days. The glorious day is to come. We are not to look back and say, man, I wish things were what they were. That is going to be burned up with everything else in creation but there is gonna be a day in which all things will be made new and that won't be burned up and we will be with him. So if you have this tendency to look back and you're tempted to do that, would you ask for God's help to reset your heart and to focus on the glorious day that is to come? Beloved, biblical Christianity, the Christianity that, Peter is writing about, that Paul is writing about, is higher and deeper than the normal American Christianity. It's not half hazard. Bonhoeffer said, when Christ bids a man, he bids him to come and die. And this is the glorious Christianity of the Lord Jesus, who is a king of a, of a kingdom. And if you're in him by faith, then I want to encourage you to remember your Savior today. Your sins are washed away. You bring nothing to the table. You are safe in him. And if you don't know that, would you turn to him today? Would you consider him today? Pray this in the name of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your glorious word. We need to be reminded. We need to be reminded that Christ has washed us, He's saved us, He's sanctifying us. So, Father, would you help us work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that you are at work in us? Father, would you keep us from the doctrines of the world? And would you set our eyes on glorious things, things that the apostles saw momentarily at the Perusia, the promise that Christ is coming again in power and in glory? And when he does, we are safe because of his work. What a glorious thing. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.